be with the coach. Dave Twenty Radio, your gamers' role. Hello and welcome to the new podcast focusing on Monty Cook's new RPG project, Numenera. Our title is, as it said in the intro, Transmissions from the Ninth World. Obviously, this is an allusion to the setting that Monty has, and we'll obviously get into that more in depth going forward. My name is David Brown. Um, I'm one of your hosts. Um, and with me is Eric Coates. Howdy. And Jim Ryan. Greetings. Uh, Eric and I and Jim are all um, play have played in a uh, Friday night game for four years together now. So we're, we're pretty close friends. And we all come from various different backgrounds in, in RPG. So um, real quick to kind of familiarize yourselves with us, we're just going to give you a little you know, background on, on us. So go ahead and uh, Eric, why don't you go ahead and take it away? Well, there's uh, not a tremendous amount to say, really. I've been role-playing for a greater part of my life. There's uh, probably since I was a wee lad, <laughs> I've been playing. And I've played many different kinds of games, so uh, I, I don't know that I need to get into many of them, but I just I love role-playing. I love the friends that I meet through role-playing, and I think there's nothing better in the world, and I think everybody should be doing it. Yeah. And and just real quick, what what was your first role-playing game, your first exposure? Oh gosh, it, it probably most likely had to be Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, of course, yeah. I think I played that out on the uh, first edition. Uh, uh, it was probably first edition. It was probably more of a hodgepodge of everything. To be honest yeah. with you, it probably wasn't one or the other. Sure. Okay, sounds good, Jim. What about, what about your background in role playing? Well, uh, I've been playing RPGs since. Uh, Oh, the dawn of time, I would think. Um, or at least what it was for me way back when I was a young lad back in the uh, early 15th century. Mm-hmm. Um, or whenever that was. I can't remember anymore. It's been so long. <laughs> uh, but uh, I uh, started out with D&D, sort of the standard stuff. Um, and over time, moved into other things like White Wolf and uh, uh, World of Darkness. And uh, both uh, tabletop and live action and then I got into more alternative stuff like the Amber Diceless RPG, which mm. really started opening things up for me. I and need to read that sometime. Playing. Oh, it's a, it's an interesting experience. It is. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's very much a thing of the late '80s, early '90s. Sure. Um, and I think games have evolved since then, but it's uh, very it it's total role play. So it, mm-hmm. that was something that I'd never done before at that. Point. Mm-hmm. But that really informed how my role-playing style uh, evolved from that point on. And so I did that. I did Deadlands and much more recently got into uh, more of what they call the quote-unquote indie games like Inspectors and Fiasco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Fiasco really lit my fire when I got finally turned onto it, well after you were talking about it. Oh, it's so much fun. It's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta tell you. <laughs> well, and, and to give inspectors its just due, it's it's a pretty fantastic, fun little game as well. Sure, I'm, I'm sad I missed that session. You guys actually played that with our group. To to kind of go into a little background on our group, 
Um, it started, as I said, about four years ago, myself and one of our other members kind of reached out looking for people to play. And, and I had left the group that I was kind of unhappy with. And, um, we got to, we got playing and, uh, Jim was one of the first guys there. And, um, Eric was actually in the, the former group that I left. And after about a month of playing, I was like, dude, this is a night and day from what we'd been experiencing. So you got to come over and he did. And so, uh, we've been playing pretty steady since then. Um, my background in role playing, I started D and D first dead. It was, it was kind of red box edition. It was kind of later in first dead's life, but, um, and I did play some top secret and some early gamma world and a lot of those early, uh, early eighties TSR box sets. Um, never did do the uh, Marvel one, but I did just about everything else. I did do, um, uh, Mayfair games, DC heroes. So, and then, um, probably about just before college, I kind of really backed out of role playing. I guess the, the, the perceived nerd factor and girls and video games and all that other stuff really kind of enticed me. And, um, but then I, I was really always kind of tangentially interested and in tangent, you know, very interested in how the games were doing. So I would typically check in the bookstores, how things had, had progressed. And, and I did, I, I did leave one, one important one out, uh, West End game, star Wars, uh, the D six. I also did play that in the early mm -hmm. part, but, uh, but then the one thing that caught my eye finally was um, I saw I was watching how D and D came out with their three O and three five, but it was uh, it was actually Eberron that got me back into playing. As I saw the Eberron uh, uh, rule book, and it it really enticed me. It was really a, a nice looking game and and setting. And um, anyway, so I, I was playing some three five with uh, specifically Eberron for a while, and then Fourth Ed came out, and I got excited about that. Uh, I'm over that now, but. Um, <laughs> that's how our group formed was actually uh, originally a 4e group and um uh, we have since diverged we've gone into uh pathfinder and we've grown so much since then <laughs> oh yeah no our group, like the last we played last friday and we had literally eight eight guys at the table and there are plenty that weren't there that could have been there so yeah it's a group yeah uh, i think we only rolled the dice maybe five times that whole night <laughs> yeah, that was that was a crazy night um but uh We've we've been trying lots of different things. Um, our, Jim's kind of our resident alt game uh, DM. Of course, we've been playing Deadlands and Savage now, Worlds. Give him the proper the proper introduction of our Captain of Indie. Yes, Captain. of Indy. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> da -da -da. But we'll, um, we'll get him a cape. Yeah. yeah. Um, so <laughs> we've done that, and and we've tried a lot of other things. We've tried Age from Dragon Age. We've. Um, um, we really, which, I, we like which the, is really a fantastic system too. Yeah. yeah, it's a good system, but, um, uh, I, I'm not a super big, uh, setting fan for the dragon age, but then, um, Pathfinder's really lit my fire and I, we've been playing a lot of that. Um, and, and a lot of our, um, D style games have gone Pathfinder, even if they're not necessarily in the Galarian setting. Um, and of course I, I got really excited. The Marvel heroic role-playing game that came out recently was fantastic. I'm going too far from our, our main topic, but the, the point being is we've all had some varying <laughs> life degrees. and history of role playing from yeah, of, of role playing uh, excitement and all this. So, so then this Kickstarter comes out, and and you know if if Jim is our resident indie guy, then Eric is our resident Kickstarter guy. He's the one who um, runs the boards we all uh, use when we're playing our games, and he like you know shares with us all these great gaming kickstarters and he was the first one who really you know said anything about numenera and, and um i think jim you had you'd heard about it independently before that yeah um 
but uh, it was definitely something that we were, you know, excited to see. And, and it, it, it sparked in me something that I was very passionate about the setting. I'm, I'm, I'm much more a setting guy mechanics, as long as they don't interfere or, or get cumbersome. I don't care really about the mechanics as much as I care about how the, the, the setting is and all, and how it draws me in. But um, let's talk about that Kickstarter. Cause that I think is really what, what has sparked Numenera and, and sparked its, uh, the excitement in people's eyes so Eric talk let's talk about that since you were kind of the the guy who was keeping tracks on that when it first started coming out it took off like a thunderbolt didn't it oh i mean and I, to be honest i'm not even sure i think i was on it from day 1 uh, it's just kind of like and day 1 was a huge huge day for it i mean yeah, we're talking looked, it was over 44,000 in one day and his his goal was 20,000 so he yeah. more than doubled his goal in the first day <laughs> With probably within that, the first couple hours. <laughs> yeah, that's that's incredible. Yeah. Um, and and you had some stats, Eric, that I thought were pretty impressive. Yeah, uh, pretty much in looking at KickTrack, and some of you may not be familiar with KickTrack, but it's a way to kind of get information about your Kickstarters and uh, see how they're doing day per day. And I mean, when you're looking at the the, the total value that Numenera grossed was well before. Amazon and of course Kickstarter takes their piece into pocket. It's uh sure. five hundred seventeen thousand dollars, which is huge. I mean four thousand six hundred and fifty eight backers. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think you could have gone to a, a large publishing house and and gotten half a million dollars to start a project like this. Yeah, I mean, they it. they would just look at you and probably be like, you want to us to give you money for right, a right. role playing game? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, I think this was pretty amazing. Absolutely. I mean, shoot. I mean, the lowest the lowest pledge day uh, grossed still three thousand dollars. I mean, yeah. that's that's pretty darn good. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty incredible. He had some nice um, peaks here and there, mm-hmm. especially well, at I, the end when when I think he was really he really cranked it up in those uh, goal goal you know uh, stretch goals. And I think a lot of it has to do with how much faith people have. Um, in my cook because he's put out such quality products before Absolutely. and uh, at this point people are willing to buy into it um, just you know, sight unseen even <laughs> well yeah I mean you can see the kind of detail and he's just he seems to be very meticulous about anything he does I mean mm-hmm. looking oh, yeah. at Patolis and I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly but I'm hoping it is <laughs> that that book is just tremendous yeah, is the piece silent? I don't know. <laughs> it might yeah, be. I, it I think it is. Tolis. If I remember right, I think it is. I, I think they do call it Tolis, but Tolis. Yeah, you know, maybe people on the other side of the planet pronounce the P. I don't know. Tolis. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess until I actually play Illidimus. in it, I can pronounce it however I want. So somebody it, has to get it. It is a. I wasn't trying to slap you down. I'm just saying. No, I know. It is a massive setting, though. Yeah, is it? I've seen some of the um, maps and stuff Even, that have been done by yeah. uh, Skeleton Key Games, and I kept seeing that. And then when it finally got connected to him, I was like, oh, that's what that all is. Yeah. Yeah, even though it's just m- mainly focusing on that one city, there's <laughs> still a huge, huge amount in there. I heard it was a pretty massive city, like one of the biggest city settings ever on. I mean, you you could you could you could take a man out with that book. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's just one city, pretty much. I think so. Hey, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about what are what are what are people going to get who pledge to this? 
Um, well, it looks obviously like it a, kind of depends on how much money you put into it, but sure, sure. I mean, we're talking the, a core book. Uh, we're talking the bestiary. Mm-hmm. Um, shoot, uh, let's see. Let's bring up that the the, the okay. books. The detail. Yeah, there's a character creator app, I think. Yeah, yeah and, the character and, creator app is very interesting. Yeah, you could choose it for any any uh, operating system that you're dealing with, Android, iOS, or PC. I think yeah. that's a pretty extensive uh, thing that, which is huge for for our digital world nowadays. I know we're seeing uh, iPads and mm-hmm. Android devices mm-hmm. popping up at the table probably a lot more often than oh, yeah. we used to. Yeah, I mean, even better than a laptop. I think an iPad is really useful at the table because, I mean, it's essentially it's digital paper. It's a digital book and all that in one. Um, so, yeah, to have a character creator app, I think I think that was one of the nice things that came out of 4E, even though the their, um, their, their uh, production of, of how that actually works, I think the, the concept of it being so core, I'm sure other people did it before then. Um, I'm just saying that for me, that was my first exposure to have a tool like that. And it really takes a lot of that. It allows you to play, you know, people, with, I think when people first saw that idea, it's like, Oh, I love doing all that number crunching and calculations and pulling up the you know, specific talents and all that type of stuff. I think that um, seeing how that worked and allowed you to play around and, and make different choices and see how that affected things was, was to me very helpful. So if that, if this, if this type of app does that, I, I think that would be very useful. Yeah. And, and I, I'm the same way. That's one of the reasons why I got into the fourth edition role-playing system was mm-hmm. for a lot of the digital tools and mm-hmm. stuff. So the sure. yeah. I'm really excited to see kind of what he develops or, you know, what, what comes yeah. out mm-hmm. for this. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. So I think if if I'm not mistaken, um, all of us were were at the real deal level. I think. <coughs> so oh, I think let's um, see. most of us are getting some uh, the core rule book in print. Yes. Um, PDFs of the core rule book, the player's guide, several uh, three different thirty page adventures, uh, 160 page bestiary, 160 page book uh, Sir Arthur Arthur's Compendium. Uh, a PDF of 3D paper fold-up terrain, which is – I'm a terrain junkie, so that's great. Uh, PDF <laughs> of a GM screen, PDF of some decks of, of cards, a cipher creature and XP decks. And the Ninth World Guidebook, which is supposedly going to be pretty – that's probably going to be the second beefy book. Um, and I, I'm a huge setting junkie, so those types of guidebooks. I'm, in fact, I did put in extra to get the guidebook with everything. Uh, the print version. So, um, and you know, and I'm sure I'll be buying all the books in print, but um, you know, it's so hard with these things to you know pledge that much money up front and <laughs> get all the stuff much much later. Unless so. you're a maniac like myself and just decide to go, you know, full off, full no. in basically. No. Oh, I, you know what? And I'm I'm wrong. I did the patron. I didn't do uh, real well, deal. Well, the patron is the real deal. Uh, pa- it just is... adds that that support adventure. Yep. Yeah. Unfortunately, at the time I was unemployed, so I wasn't able to put in a whole lot. That's right. Uh, but uh, I, I did put in what I could. Yeah. And I am really looking forward to how this thing comes out. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I really hope we get a chance to run this at the table because I think um, what he's talking about, from both on a setting and mechanic side, both excite me. So, as I said, mechanics are typically throwaway for me. So um, that's that's cool. 
Uh, is there anything else to cover about the kicker? Did we cover, cover all the kind of the big main, main stats? Averaging per day, uh, 1,200,000. Um, I, I, th- I think the best thing to say is that if, if you didn't participate with the Kickstarter, we're sorry. Yeah, yeah. 4,600 backers. Um, yeah, because I mean, not only I mean, you could you could look at the stats and all that kind of stuff, but Monty himself, he he mm-hmm. did a fantastic job with it, which is pretty much why we, he has a book out there now for how sure. to run a successful Kickstarter. Yeah, I mean, the way that he ran it, he kept the excitement up. He, you know, he he kept people up to date, and that's like a huge thing for me that I find, and I back a, quite a lot of uh, Kickstarters. So one of the things that I look for is, you know, I'm going to give you my money, so I want you to kind of work with me and let me know what's going on. Keep, keep sure. in communication as best you can during that Kickstarter. <laughs> and yeah, to me, that's just something that's really big. Yeah. There, there are parts of me that feel like some of the stretch goals are kind of, it's cool because like in this case, it's, it was it worked perfectly because it was like, yeah. Hey, I'm funding for this main book. If I get more, I'll do more. Yeah. And, and that's what that one was. There were some others that have been, I felt like a little fluffy in some of what they were offering for the stretch goals. But, um, you know, the other one that was really impressive was that uh, uh, Reaper Bones one, uh, what they did over there. And I think they ended up over for $4 million, um, for plastic minis. Yeah. That's, that's insane. Yeah, that was um, run really well. I mean, yeah. the way that they had it laid out was done well. And just all of the, it looks like they, they had it planned out. So they kind of had a, idea of exactly what they were going to do and where they wanted to sure. go with it. But I, there was a little bit of, oh, wow, we're really getting this much. And they did start really cranking. Well, what could we do? I, I'm sure they had some of those meetings of, I can't believe we're at this point. We need yeah, to. Yeah, no, I'm sure they were, had a lot of like, oh, crap, same. what the hell is going yeah. on? <laughs> what yeah. did we get ourselves into? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I bet I bet they're still saying that many times, that we, especially when they look at what – what the kind of uh, the government's going to ask from them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> right. gotten. Yeah. But, um, but no, I'm excited, you know, and, and that's again, the idea that the Kickstarter is not just to get what you're getting. I mean, that's the, that should be the candy on the, or the icing on the cake. That's the, you know, supporting this type of a project because we know we'll be passionate about it. You know, we know that there's going to be at least 4,600 other people that are interested enough to play this. So, Hopefully that helps keep the product alive because, I mean, that's been a tough thing with several role-playing games that I've been interested in in the past is, you know, they kind of come and go and they don't, you know. Yeah, here today, gone tomorrow. Last too long or or get the support that they deserve. Yeah. Uh, So it's great to see – to see what he's already got planned. And that's, that's the thing is you got to remember that what is the first one that is due out in like August of 2013 when the core rule book is due in print? Um, I want to say July. July, July, July is the yeah. the rough estimate. <laughs> right, right. Um, but then he his point was that if you were at a certain level, and I think it it was patron level, essentially you're going to be getting material for a year. So essentially, yeah. by paying for this, you're going to be getting all these different things coming to you throughout a year's span of time. So. Um, I think that's it's going to be really worth it. But then, of course, the the, the benefit of it is a large portion of what he did is is going to be in print for others to buy. So yeah, uh, that's that's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Uh, anything else we want to talk about on the Kickstarter before um, our next topic? And I didn't really kind of hit it at the top, but 
Um, we want to talk about this Kickstarter because I think that that is a worthy conversation and not something that's be worth talking about, you know, further in on this uh, series. But um, the other thing we obviously want to get into talking about is a little bit of, of what the setting means just on the top level because there's a lot of content that he's already put out for us to discuss and uh, and hopefully there'll be a lot more coming. So um, but anything else on the Kickstarter, guys? I'm good. Okay. I'm good. I'm totally good. Yeah. So um, I think we, we, we covered that pretty well. So moving into um, some of the discussions. Now, fortunately, Lonnie is, is a good blogger and has a lot of, as Eric said, he's communicated it well with the people that have supported the Kickstarter. And I think it comes from his nature as a writer and also as you know someone who, who has his own blog to be able to put out information in nice consumable chunks and um uh you know it's it's i think very helpful so uh the first one that we wanted to discuss was one that he put out on august 9th it was soon after he started the the kickstarter the title was a billion years question mark um so basically his point is that he was trying to describe to people who were were potential kickstarters uh, or pledgers what this world was going to be about, why I should contribute. So he's, he's come out and said that, that this setting is a, on Earth, but a billion years in the future. So let's talk about that. That's, I mean, that's, I think it's, a, it's an interesting topic because most of us can't even really conceive that. You know, absolutely. most of us can't even really envision, like, what what is our world going to be like here in a billion years? I mean, when... When yeah. you say a billion, that's that's almost unfathomable to most. It's funny. I was thinking when you know billion, because he even made a specific point in here that it's not going to be one billion two hundred or two thousand thirteen. It's not like exactly one billion years in the future. It's around. A yeah, the, he was basically saying you know there's no real reason to coin one billion right. two hundred or right. two thousand and thirteen. There's, there's yeah, not necessary. you know that. That made me laugh because as a, a long-time Legion of Superheroes fan, that's always been their thing is that they've been a thousand years in the future. And it's always uh-huh. – whenever they've had reboots, they've realigned it to be a thousand years from that year's future. <laughs> uh, it's funny. But um, – and then conversely, or still in the comics world, um, DC had their uh, – DC won million, and it was their one millionth issues. I don't think it was a million years. They kind of calculated out like what year it would be if they continued the numbering of their comics to, you know, like action comics straight up to what a millionth cop issue of that would be. So, but anyways, uh, gentle, sorry. So, but a billion years, uh, what would life be like in a billion years? We almost have to go and start looking at evolutionary charts. Yeah. (laughs) The dinosaurs and all that. If you think about it, um, I the, the first thing that struck me when I saw that was that it reminded me a little bit of Gene Wolfe's work with mm-hmm. the Book of the New Sun and his subsequent series. And later on, I found out that that actually was one of his inspirations. Oh, yeah, um, I think yeah, I, I think I saw cool. that on his thing just now uh, on the new uh, Numenera Kickstarter. He mentioned that, and he mentioned. Um, or some of his other uh, references, Michael Moorcock and um, yeah, some of those others. Yeah. And so, of course, I've, I'm, a, I've been a big fan of Gene Wolfe for quite a while. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the Book of the New Sun in particular can be difficult reading at first, mm-hmm. but uh, I found after I got into it, I couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is even, you know, it's using language that hasn't been used since the time of the Roman Empire, but it's really good material. Um, and that world was kind of alien in a way and kind of medieval in a way. Uh, there'd been a lot of regression, but there were many, many, many different races living mm-hmm. on the planet. And, and some of them were aliens, and maybe some of them were evolved humans. It mm-hmm. never really got into it. There was technology, but it was all kind of concealed. Mm-hmm. Um, and was not the sort of thing that the everyday person thought about. Uh, it was a very interesting angle on things, and that really excited me, actually, almost more than anything else, mm-hmm. when I saw that he was being inspired by that, and that was one of the reasons I really wanted to give this thing. Sure. Yeah. Now, now I feel behind. I, I feel like I really need to go out and try to read, even, read though, some that, of that. even though that I'm not an avid, like, and it's really strange because, as most of you probably, well, not most of you, as, as the ones that are speaking on this mm-hmm. podcast know i can't read books i can mm-hmm. i can read manuals and i can read role playing books like instructional things i'm all over but what you set me down with a regular book and it's nothing but yeah <laughs> i think I, you know honestly i i i've been figuring that out we have been conditioned as children to read books at story time that make us sleepy so when we read narration <laughs> Seriously, I have fallen asleep reading. Uh, you're just going through that now that you're in a family type setting. I yeah, think. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, so I will tell you. I don't know how much this will help, uh-huh. but uh, getting through Gene Wolfe, reading that Book of the New Sun, uh, all four books in that tetralogy, was a struggle. It split my brain in half. But after <laughs> I finished it, I found I was able to read anything. anything that, um, I was I was able to pick up biographies. And it's a milestone book, huh? I could read textbooks was awesome <laughs> so do they have cliff notes um <laughs> yeah you're right there actually uh, is an analysis of it well um, see i might actually be able to read that yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah there, there is an analysis there actually also was a uh a, a GURPS setting i think that came out at one are you point serious <laughs> what, what i am totally what has serious. GURPS not put out i yeah, mean really. that, that would really and, be the question and actually and i found out monty cook actually owns that uh, a copy of that setting <laughs> as well <laughs> Because he was a big fan of it as well. Really? Um, And if I can find the analysis, uh, the information on that, I'll let you know. I'll go ahead and take a quick look while you guys talk about it. That might actually be a good thing to share with our listeners in the future to, you know, talk about some of that type of stuff. And uh, especially if for some reason, you know, some of the information from Monty dries up. But, um, yeah, some of his specific um, call outs here are, are outside the box gameplay such as that found in Planescape which I think he had some part in um, when he was over there at TSR oh yeah yes. uh, Dark Space and Chaos Tech Chaos Tech is that right am I pronouncing Chaosium that right um, and then he mentions the far future stories of Gene Wolfe as you just described Michael Moorcock or Mike or Jack Vance which obviously Vancean magic um, and then my blowing visible Visuals like those found in the work of the uh, French artist Mo- Mo- Mobius, which that's awesome because that was that was even before he I read that a lot of his little um, figures that that are all over his Kickstarter um, that one of his artists drew are very uh, Mobius, you know, referencing in my opinion. Um, you know, another another good if anybody's not a big comic reader and not not familiar with that name. Um, I can't remember the, the, the his actual name, Mobius, his actual name, but um, 
Uh, a lot of his influence are seen in, in uh, especially French sci-fi. Like I know uh, Fifth Element done by uh, Luc Besson is very Mobius uh, referenced. Um, but anyway, I, I digress. Uh, yeah, I, I think what he's talking about, and this is you know the actual thing, and this is where the term from our our podcast transmissions from the ninth world. He he refers to the sitting as the ninth world, and he's he uses that because he's saying that civilizations have risen and fallen on Earth, you know, throughout this this history leading up to this point. So this is essentially the ninth world that has existed, you know, on this world. So there's remnants of all the previous uh, kind of eras and generations and and you know uh, civilizations. So it's very medieval like. But there's all this technology that may be hidden or not really understood. And uh, we kind of had a little pre-discussion here, and we were talking about that nice uh, reference he makes. Um, what was the Arthur C. Clarke reference, Jim? Oh, yes. The uh, the idea, that, and I'm not going to get this quote completely right, mm -hmm. but uh, the idea that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Right. And uh, also, I'll let you know, I did just take a look for that companion. I was not able to find the information, but at some point later on, if I can locate it, I will get it to you. Excellent. Cool. cool. Excellent. Yeah, I'd be interested in that as well. Oh, as would I. Um, but, but getting back, that that's um, I think that's what's exciting to me is that idea of being fantasy, but having that kind of uh, technological underpinnings that explains that the magic is kind of not necessarily magic. It, you know, it may be some, yeah, well, it was probably something mundane, mm -hmm. uh, you know, back in its day. Yeah. But mm -hmm. now it's, it's so far from reality that it's, it's, it's an extreme. It's a magic. I mean, it's like bringing an iPhone back to the Neanderthals. They uh, <laughs> would just be probably loopy over it. Of course they would smash it and destroy it and wouldn't want to have anything to do with it. Yeah, there they might worship it like the monolith. <laughs> to back to Clark, <laughs> it would be the small, the mini monolith. I love this bit that he talks about in this, this pot, this uh, blog entry, that a billion years in the the future puts the people of the ninth world farther from us than we are from dinosaurs, temporally speaking. Yeah. Uh, in the time frame, the continental drift has brought the continents all back together, and probably also seen them break apart again. Um, I think it's also interesting that he talks about, you know, there's like some major engineering going on because of the fact that, you know, our sun is a finite energy source. So yes. something pretty much had to have happened to make yes. it so that the the sun doesn't implode, explode or or do whatever the, the sun is going to do at some point, you know, hydrogen expiring and mm -hmm. and there being no source for energy and and no uh no method for plant life to develop because you can't really uh, do chlorophyll and stuff like that without sure. the sun. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's that specifically. He says that the sun's luminosity should increase about ten percent, firing up the oceans and making photosynthesis impossible. Mm -hmm. uh, but in this world, there's ocean. There's one a big ocean because uh, the, the the things coming back together. So yeah, obviously something is taking part and something has you know been achieved in, in one of the civilizations, which to me, that's always one of my favorite topics is the idea of a civiliz civilization achieving such great heights, but then still finding a way to collapse in itself. Um, 
think another one of the great things about a, a setting like this is it really leaves it open to the imagination because you've got your fantasy, but mm -hmm. you could also intertwine all kinds of like, uh, you know, futuristic technologies and stuff into it. So you're really not limited to anything. It's, it's open to pretty much anything your mind can really fathom. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so. who's to say that there won't be expansions to it that really like, uh, go more into a futuristic type of, 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 of a reality as opposed to it just being, cause I mean, right now it seems like it's focusing a lot on, you know, it is a medieval type society, but with, with mm -hmm. technology inter intermixed. Um, but I mean, really you could foresee a, a possibility of it going the other direction at some sure. point. It, sure. If, if it yeah. really picks up. Yeah. Exploring different time settings mm -hmm. or absolutely forward in a certain time. Yeah, covering more of a span of, of different genres. Um, the one thing I think is exciting about it is I think a lot of these really uber futuristic things tend to go very with the post apocryphal stuff. And obviously, apocalypses have happened if this is the ninth world, whatever that means. Um, but I, I like the idea that, oh, okay, well, there's just not going to be mutant zombies all over. And, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know, which, which is fun. Gamma world is one of my all time favorite games. I love that setting, but at the same mm -hmm. time, it's, you know, it, it's kind of some things have covered the niche. And I guess that's, what's one of the things that's excited me about new era is this feeling of, Hey, we're doing some things that are going to be comfortable with, and you're going to kind of re realize, but there's a lot that's really open here and you really are going to have a lot of space to explore and, you know, get to know what this all means. Um, one of the one of the next coming things, and I'm just going to transition quickly into this because we did bring up um, this kind of past tech that may be viewed as um, viewed viewed as magic here. So that's where the name of this comes from. Um, he talks in this blog post, "What's in a name, Numenera." Um, and talks about that that is how they refer to um, any specific um, magical essence or um, it, it's kind of a catch-all things he uses for, for the things past normal understanding. Um, so again, it, it goes that Arthur C. Clarke yeah. quote about that indistinguishable science indistinguishable, indistinguishable from magic. So you know, I could imagine people in, say, medieval periods finding things from ancient Roman times and saying, what on earth was this for? And I think that that's kind of the flavor here. Does that sound right to you guys? Oh, absolutely. Like the discovery of, you know, what is this what is this item and how can I use it and what does it do? And the fact that it probably only has a single use left because, you know, the power source may not may not be all that all that all that much anymore absolutely yeah, and uh, plus makes really good hooks for rpgs yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah um i you know i think that 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 concept and that giving that power to, to kind of come up with something that is otherworldly but maybe have a hint of familiarity i think that's kind of what what excites me about that oh yeah yeah well, it's it's always interesting whenever you get into a campaign in which you uh, come across something. You're playing someone who's not supposed to be familiar with technology, but then you come across something. And the, what is that old module, that old uh, D&D module, where the uh, 
spoilers, uh, where the thing turns out to be a spaceship. Uh, the dungeon. Oh, yeah, wasn't it? I, I remember oh, that one vaguely. Tip of my tongue. Yeah, I remember. I remember the art from it. Is that weird? Oh, yeah. <laughs> First Ed D and D has that very distinct art. Um, yeah. But anyway, so um, we, we've we've gone over thirty minutes now, and and we're gonna kind of keep these brief going forward. So we we've got plenty to to do and cover, and um, we're, we're working on you know how frequently we're gonna do these, and and we're gonna figure out exactly what kind of schedule we're keeping. Um, obviously, we're. Um, new at doing this specific one and and obviously you know i didn't really even mention just absolutely thrilled with the response from the uh the guys at d20 radio and their support of of, of hosting us right out of the gate and uh really getting behind this because you know what just like any i think a lot of rpgers out there they're as excited about this project as we are and um fortunately we all had a a background in, in broadcasting and, and a passion to do this. And Jim's done plenty of other work. Actually, go ahead and name drop. What are, what are your um, other uh, uh, podcasts that are active out there, Jim? Well, right at the moment, um, I'm doing the Crucible of Realms podcast. Absolutely. The, the Crucible of Realms podcast, which is uh, essentially the idea of it is that uh, every episode we build a world. Um, we build a different world with every episode. It's a total brainstorm thing. Um, and so that, uh, is coming out right now at crucibleofrealms.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, from time to time, I will put out interviews or articles, um, as a podcast, um, in podcast form and also in written form on my blog, which is Jim. Yes, that Jim.com. <laughs> um, there's also an archive of my, uh, my, uh, RPG pseudo comedy series, which was mostly me arguing with myself, uh, <laughs> called The Great Debate. And that is at RPGDebate.com. And eventually I'll be getting back to that and making new episodes. But right now it's uh, about 50 episodes in there. Absolutely. That's, that's awesome. And it's um, all good stuff. Highly recommend yeah, no, all of it. <laughs> Jim, Jim is quite so. the professional in this industry. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's amazing when you listen to some of those episodes and realize that it, that's you doing like nearly every voice on there. It's pretty <laughs> impressive, Jim. Your checks are in the mail. Yeah, good, good. good. <laughs> um, Ching. And 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 just to wrap it back to the D twenty guys. Obviously, one of the reasons I approached them was uh, one of the games I, I missed saying early on was the Star Wars Saga edition. Um, and then now, um, Eric and I especially um, have been very excited. I, I can't remember if we've talked to you about it, Jim. The the new Fantasy Flight Star Wars game. So I'm I'm thrilled oh, yeah. they're moving into that. Um, the new setting or the new uh, game mechanic. Yeah, the narrative dice. Um, yes, yes. Uh, very, very interesting stuff. Very. Oh, we, cool. we got to play a, um, a de- game of the beta. Uh, Eric ran for him and for myself and a couple of his friends a while back, and it was a, another thrilling game. I, I'm really liking dice pool games, and uh, Eric's a big fan of narrative dice games, so it, it was kind of it kind of came together nicely. So, um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to see what more they put out. So, um, and riding on their coattails like we are. So that's great. Yep. Um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. check out the Excellent. order 66 podcast. Obviously, if you're finding us, most likely you already know about that one, but I uh, just wanted to throw uh, a big thanks for them. Um, and, uh, other than that, uh, the coming up in future episodes, we've got a lot of good material still out there that we can cover. Uh, Monty's released so far four narratives of some play, uh, play tests he's done. I think it would be interesting to kind of consume those from, from the perspective that we've got and, you know, also interlay some of what he's talked about on mechanics and discuss how those things must be played out at the table. I'm, I'm excited about those. 
Uh, he's got some other information. Um, what are what are some of the other things, Eric? Anything else on the top of your, tip of your tongue? Uh, there's the uh, short book and the yep. eventual yep. movie or, or whatever that mm-hmm. he's going to produce because he got enough funding for it. So that's right. That's right. <laughs> That'll be interesting. Crazy. That's gonna be crazy. <laughs> well, um, uh, if you uh, if you like, I actually. Uh, finally had the answers for these uh, last-minute research that I did suddenly quickly uh, that, that for the questions that came up <laughs> that I didn't have the immediate answers to. Uh, so if you want, I'll let you know very briefly. Mm-hmm. The uh, Book of the New Sun analysis, there are actually two main ones that people go to. Uh, one is Michael Andre Drissi's Lexicon Urthus, and uh, the other one is Robert Borsky's Solar Labyrinth. And uh, the module we referred to with the spaceship in it is called Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. Yes. Nice. Module nice. S3. Gotta love Google. Okay, so. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> we, we, yeah. wrapping Google up, now makes up about 95% of my brain space. Yes, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come a point where the Einsteinian principle of why bother to learn your own phone number when you can look it up in a phone book is going to – how does Google mesh with that? But that's Just another Google thing. yourself <laughs> will be a term that will be used totally. in many different um, ways. So, so yeah, so we've got plenty to cover for future episodes. We're, we're all very excited about it. Um, I think, uh, the D20 guys are, are excited about it. So we'll definitely keep, keep going, keep hot. Um, we should have forums up if they're not already up, they should be coming up short, shortly or, or certainly I would, I would hope before this, um, this gets posted. So, um, look for those. If you guys want to have any comments and share any stuff, we're obviously very interested in interviews as well. Um, hoping, hoping to score one with Monty and, and any of the folks that he's, uh, fine folks that he's already talked about his, uh, his artist whose name escapes me right now. Um, uh, Shannon Germain, his editor, um, Christopher West, he's got on the line for map making. I know that he's been on some order 66 ones and his, his work is beautiful. So I'm, I'm very much enthusiastic about his involvement in it too. So all all in all, there's just uh, tons of people involved in this that we hope to get some, some feedback on. And and on occasion, we, as I said, we've got a pretty good and very intelligent um, gaming group. So we may have some of those guys on from time to time, um, uh, filling in the gaps and uh, just keeping things interesting. So uh, the biggest thing obviously is we do have a, um, uh, Google plus page that we have not really pushed thus far, but we will be start using, uh, we have a email, um, transmissions from the ninth world at gmail.com, or you can also hit us at transmissions from the ninth world at d20 radio.com. And that's all spelled out. It's not yes, a number yes. in there. It's all spelled out. Uh, thank you very much. We, for we went nice that. and long with it. <laughs> yes. Yes, we did. So, um, Look for that, and um, we'll, we'll obviously try and keep everybody up to breast on when we're recording these. I don't know if we'll ever get to the point of the uh, Order 66 where they're recording it live in a chat room type thing. But um, uh, maybe at some point we may try some some new stuff with that. So otherwise, stick with us. Let us know if uh, if you like the show and let us know if there's any more – any anything you guys would like us to cover or or ask about or certainly if we have advanced knowledge of any interviews we'd we'd love to get your you know questions to submit but we got a lot of our own so we'll be first in the queue just saying uh, <laughs> just kidding but um is that one of the it's good to be the king kind of yes thing? it is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right well that pretty much wraps us up for this episode thank you guys for coming on and sharing your your two cents and and uh, 
Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, if you've made it this far, I guess we did okay. Um, but we certainly would love feedback uh, from either on, on our email address, transmissions from the ninth world, fully spelled out, at either at gmail.com or at d20radio.com. Until later, tune in to future transmissions. The Transmissions from the Ninth World podcast is not affiliated with Monty Cook Games. It has been produced under the Creative Commons license and is for entertainment and information purposes only. Music provided by Kevin McLeod. Transmissions from the Ninth World is a proud affiliate of the D20 Radio Group.